with gold Lifted some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Mecca of Mormonism. This is heart of the matter. That's not the mic. Right. We're we're having a we're having a brief technical problem here. So just real. Is it on the phone? Oh, here it is. This is gonna make the gag real. I can uh, almost be certain of it. Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. It's where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter uh, on their television set, you can have them go to hotm.tv and watch it from anywhere in the world. The Daily Universe, the newspaper at Brigham Young University in its 30 years, of publishing the newspaper has never had to retract uh, the paper for a reprint until this last week. Um, I guess there was a photograph in the BYU paper and they just under the photograph said the probably worst thing they could possibly ever say. It was covering the LDS General Conference and under the photograph of the members of the 12 Apostles, it says, quote, members of the Quorum of the 12 Apostates and other general authorities raise their hands in the sustaining vote Saturday morning. The newspaper found out about it early. They scampered around campus, picked up 18,000 papers, and reprinted it to say LDS, members of the Quorum of 12 Apostles. I think they had it right the first time. So anyway, What is Zelf or who is Zelf? In Mormon history, the story goes that uh, the Mormons were in Zion's camp. This was a military operation that Joseph Smith called together and they traveled by foot all over the place and to kind of um, fight back against some persecution that was taking place. And while they were traveling, they came upon a small mound and on that small mound, some people found bones of a male, it seems, who had an arrow stuck in his leg, uh, and he had died from that arrow, it seemed. And so they said, Joseph, who is this? And this is from History of the Church, Volume 2. This is from Joseph Smith's own mouth. The brethren procured a shovel and hoe, and removing the earth to the depth of about one foot, discovered the skeleton of a man, almost entire, and between his ribs the stone point of a Lamanitish arrow, which evidently produced his death. Elder Burr Riggs retained the arrow. The contemplation of the scenery around us produced peculiar sensations in our bosoms, 
and subsequently the visions of the past being opened to my understanding by the Spirit of the Almighty, I discovered that the person whose skeleton was before us was a white Lamanite, a large, thick-set man, a man of God. His name was Zelf. He was a warrior and chieftain under the great prophet Onandagus, who was known from the hill Cumorah, or Eastern Sea, to the Rocky Mountains. The curse was taken from Zelf, or at least one part, and his thigh bone was broken by a stone flung from a sling while in battle years before his death. He was killed in battle by an arrow found among his ribs during the last great struggle of the Lamanites and the Nephites. What's great about the story of Zelf is in Joseph's own words, he says that he was a warrior and chieftain under the great prophet Onandagus, who was known from the Hill Cumorah, which is in New York, or the Eastern Sea, he says, to the Rocky Mountains. All right, this was Joseph Smith who said the spirit of the Lord told him this about this skeleton uh, man named Zelf. Well, today the uh, LDS apologists are saying that there's a limited geography theory about where the Book of Mormon took place. It was in a really, 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 really small area, maybe even the size of a, of a county somewhere in maybe even Panama, they say. It wasn't necessarily in the United States because DNA is not supporting that any longer. So this was a big thing. But here on Heart of the Matter, we have proof. We have definitive proof that Zelf truly did exist. And here it is. It's in the action figure from the land of Zelf. <laughs> yes, this says you can collect all action figures. Kimura attacks Zelf. We can have silver bows. You can buy Sword of Onandagus if you'd like, the Shiblon dagger, and uh, all kinds of things on the back. It's beautiful. This was given to us. It's a one-of-a-kind from Tyler. Greatly appreciate it. And, and this is probably what Zelf looked like, you know. He probably looked just like that guy right there. Okay. Well, listen, uh, last week we had a caller named Don call in, and he, it was very revealing call as Don represented uh, the way many LDS think when engaging in discussion. First, Don demanded that I provide proof that Brigham Young murdered people. I replied that Brigham Young was smart and didn't record the deaths and, uh, that he authorized, but circumstantial evidence would uh, probably convict him in a court of law. Well, we had a number of people write about regarding Don's method. I mean, we had a lot, and I picked out a few. One of them gives us a website. If you're interested, it's at www. 1857massacre.com. Look that up, www.1857massacre.com. There you will find out all kinds of information about the Danites activities, horrific information. This was supplied to us by Lauren B. Another person, uh, Phil L., wrote uh, a lot of great points about it. I won't go into them because it's a little bit long, but Phil had some great points. We had Michelle K. said... Could you produce any documentation that O.J. Simpson killed his wife and her friend? She didn't think so. No documentation, but he was charged with that crime, not in the, in the civil court of law. Uh, Kathleen Peterson gave us some great blood atonement quotes, which I'm going to use here in the show tonight. Uh, let's see. Dennis Colville, he said, he wrote, I watched your show March 31st and heard the caller uh, who said about Brigham killing people, an interesting comparison would be that to Charles Manson. 
Old Charlie never dirtied his hands, but he had his followers kill for him and was convicted of those murders. Same scenario for Brother Young. His hands stayed clean, yet people were killed by his orders. Neither one uh, were stupid men who wanted to be caught with their blood on the hands. Unlike Charles Manson, who is still to this day in prison, Brigham Young got away with murder. Uh, L. Ballard, he recommends reading the book Destroying Angel for more evidence about it. And finally, Chuck Goldberg, I'm going to take the time to read this. I think it's good. He says, you, um, your call, you told the caller challenging you for documentation of the Brigham Young murders that Young was not dumb enough to leave such documentation, but that circumstantial evidence would convict. True, but I would have told him something else. Let's say for sake of argument, he is absolutely correct that Young did not personally commit murder. It was one of his followers. Even so, Young is still guilty under the law. I would have then related the case in the news today about a black kid found murdered. The investigation led the cops to a couple neo-Nazi white power types who received their inspiration from a specific organization's website. It featured the demagogic leader railing against blacks and other minorities calling for their deaths. The prosecutor not only nailed the triggerman, but also went after the demagogue who had an alibi. He was hundreds of miles away at the time of the murder. The prosecutor, however, was undeterred. In his closing argument, he basically said that the leader targeted his audience, who were disaffected, impressionable, ignorant youths, put up the website, aired footage calling for these deaths, explained how to obtain firearms and more. Thus, how could he put all this in motion, then stand back and claim he's not responsible because he did not pull the trigger? Under the law, the prosecutor argued, he is just as guilty as, as he pulled the trigger himself. The jury convicted him. He wrote, we know very well that the hardcore documentation is not prerequisite to making a successful case and concluded, however, uh, with the caller you had, you know that there's nothing under the sun you could have said that would have made a bit of difference anyway. And I suppose this is the greatest evidence of the true believing Mormons. Facts, even if they're circumstantial, are absolutely irrelevant. Believing in the story they've heard from their youth is all they care about. Finally, the Lord is working through this state, my friends, pouring his spirit upon all those who seek him. I received information on Sunday about a lifelong faithful LDS man uh, married in the temple with a family, went to his bishop and said he was really feeling empty inside. The bishop took the standard route and said the man needed more uh, church assignments to help him find his personal fulfillment. He also asked this man to speak in an upcoming LDS meeting. The man went home, began preparing what he was saying, opened up the Bible. He read and read uh, the, uh, through reading the Bible alone, discovered he was actually a sinful man and that he did not know anything about the biblical Jesus. He prayed to God to forgive him for his sin and it changed his life. The man was radically born again. He now completely understands and embraces the biblical teaching of salvation by grace and grace alone. If you seek him, he will answer. Doesn't matter where you are in your religious walk right now. Seek him, ask him to change your heart and he will answer. Go to the Lord, pour your heart out, then open up his manual, the Bible. From what I've been told, the man reports that now he's opening the Bible and reading and he's seeing things he has never seen in all his LDS experience. We praise God with him and all the others we hear about who are coming to the Lord in this manner. Has it happened to you? That is the question. Last weekend was another semi-annual uh, uh, general conference for the LDS Church. We are going to try and hit on some of the highlights next week, as well as a show that we are calling, calling Funny Games. 
I hope you will join us to watch it. Finally, people often want to know how they can contribute to our ministry, how they can be a part of the ministry. Let me introduce to you uh, to Heart of the Matter Partners. If you're interested in becoming a Heart of the Matter Partner, we have four avenues available. So if you're ready, we're going to show them on the screen. First, you can call us. Uh, Toll-free number 888-868-HOTM, right there on the screen. We will send you a brochure about becoming a partner. Second, you can email us for the same information at partners at hotm.tv. Or you can go online at hotm.tv and you can click on partners and find out all about our partners program. And finally, you can write us if that's the only way that you can communicate. And uh, you can write us at 314 South Redwood Road, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84104. And uh, with that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we pray uh, for the work you are doing. We pray for uh, the people who are seeking, our audience here, our audience uh, in Utah, Idaho, and everywhere else where they might see uh, this show. We pray that light will come into darkened hearts, eyes will be opened, and uh, we will be able to share the truth tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. And so tonight, we continue forward over the dry and isolated settlement called Deseret, speaking uh, about all the unspoken LDS history. Last week, we talked about some of the control methods that were used or employed to keep the saints in check once they arrived here in the Salt Lake Valley. Included in these methods was a disdain for anything that caused the saints to place their allegiance on anyone outside of the control of the church. Doctors were greatly frowned upon and their practices strictly controlled in Utah, while lawyers were held in utter contempt, especially lawyers that came out of Washington, D.C. Speaking of the United States government, second counselor to Brigham Young, Daniel Wells said, quote, I do not think there is a more corrupt government on earth, end quote. Brigham Young's brother called the U.S. administrators insane for not accepting the fact that Mormonism held all the keys to personal salvation. Brigham Young's other brother, Lorenzo, said, quote, I have long prayed that the Lord Almighty would destroy the nation that gave me birth, unless the rulers thereof repent. And LDS leader Orson Hyde said, quote, the Constitution now serves but little purpose other than a cloak for political gamblers, merchants, and hucksters. This attitude, I believe, remains in the political machinations Mormonism continues to entertain today. Don't be fooled. Whether the public office is high or the public office is low, LDS power brokers still seek to implement a theocratic government they hope will ultimately oversee the entire operation of the world. Whether they can succeed in this remains to be seen. Nevertheless, the seeds have long germinated in the soil of the collective LDS heart and appear in our day and age to, have finally, have an, to finally have an opportunity to begin to blossom. I would not be surprised if a faithful Latter-day Saint makes another bid for the highest office in this country once again in 2012. You see, to the LDS faithful, nobody on earth is more suited or prepared to take public office or govern the masses than one of their own. Nobody, because to the LDS, they possess all the truth of God, and they are relentless in having these ways based on their doctrines, mind you, based on their doctrines implemented. 
Therefore, anyone who does not embrace Mormon doctrine automatically is considered inferior to a candidate who does. If you might be friends with some people in public office or at your business, and you might believe they consider me an equal and, a, and, a, and this and that. They do not. I've been there. I'm telling you, they believe that you are missing the greater light and knowledge that you could have, that you could never function in the way that you could unless you were LDS. Brigham Young himself particularly detested Washington politicians. He often attacked U.S. President Zachary Taylor, James Polk, and James Buchanan from the pulpit. He even said that Abraham Lincoln was, quote, weak as water. This attitude is important for us to remember today because behind closed doors, no office is rightly held unless it is occupied by a faithful Latter-day Saint. It's all part of Joseph and Brigham's utopian vision for world domination. Even as late as 1869, Young said, Who goes to the White House these days? A gambler and a drunkard. And a vice uh, president is the same. And the vice president is the same. And no man can get either office unless he is a gambler and a drunkard or a thief. And who goes to Congress? You may hunt clear through the Senate and House, and you cannot find any men that are not liars, thieves, whoremongers, gamblers, and drunkards. I tell you, there are mighty, mighty few, for no other kind of men can get in there. So with this mindset shouted from the pulpit, there was bound to be problems when the federal government assigned appointees to oversee the now new Utah Territory. Now again, we must ask ourselves, how would a truly Christian community respond to governmental appointees? Would they attack them would they rebel against them, prepare for war, and fi actually fight them? I would suggest true Christians would turn to the manual for direction and not to men. Romans 13.1 says, Let every soul be subject unto higher powers, for there is no power but of God, and powers that be are ordained of God. Christians would read in Titus 3 that they should put themselves in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, and be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing meekness unto all. Or they would read the Apostle Peter's words in 2 1 Peter 2.13 that says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or to governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. You will always find in comparing true biblical Christians with religious uh, with religions led by men, that true biblical Christians will always humbly bow their heads and submit to authority, even if it means death in the name of Jesus Christ. While the movements led by men will always seek to retaliate for revenge and will fight for these causes they deem just to fight in. In US, three US officials between 1850 and 1851 fled this place for fear of their lives. One of them, Justice Perry Brokus, actually attended an LDS service where Brigham Young took to the pulpit and attacked then the deceased president, Zachary Taylor, saying, Zachary Taylor is dead and in hell, and I'm glad of it. Within 12, uh, within 12 years, 16 federal officials would flee from the state. Some would go with scars. When a Mr. Trokolowski 
A deputy to the general surveyor in Utah helped a 12-year-old girl, Emma Wheat, escape from a pending polygamous marriage. He was ambushed by three men, former Danite members, and nearly killed. Speaking of the Utah Mormons, his boss, David Burr, wrote the following report to Washington, which is still found in Washington's governmental records today. It says, These people repudiate the authority of the United States in this country and are in open rebellion against the general government. So strong have been my apprehensions of danger to the, to the surveyors that I scarcely deemed it prudent to send any out. We are by no means sure that we will be permitted to leave, for it is boldly asserted that we would not get away alive, end quote. After numerous and similar reports poured into Washington, D.C., officials decided military muscle was needed to take charge of Brigham Young and his Mormon mavericks. Specific charges were delivered against the Utah Mormons to the United States Attorney General, including, and this is from the report, One, Mormon allegiance to Brigham Young, an absolute dictator in Utah, has comprised LDS loyalty to the U.S. government, has compromised LDS loyalty to the U.S. government, and laws enacted by Congress. Two, through secret oaths to Young, male members of the LDS church have vowed to resist the laws of the country and obey only the law of Mormon priesthood. Those oaths are still taken in the temples today. A group of men have been set apart by special order of the church to take both the lives and property of any person who may question the authority of the church. Moreover, such individuals with Young's knowledge and approbation have destroyed court records. Four, federal officials have been insulted, harassed, and annoyed by the Mormons. Five, federal officers have been made to hear the, quote, American government traduced. The chief executive of the nation, both living and dead, slandered and abused from the masses, as well as from all the leading members of the church. And six, laws are administered unfairly against Gentiles, while Mormons are favored in their own courts. Again, I would suggest these same attitudes continue to thrive in the LDS hierarchical heart today. As a result of dozens and dozens of terrifying letters and reports received from the Utah Territory for over six years, President James Buchanan gave marching orders to at least 2,500 U.S. troops to come to Utah, which amounted to about one-sixth of the entire U.S. military at the time. The troops were led by West Point graduate Colonel Albert Johnson, who marched toward Utah Territory, unaware that Brigham Young had anticipated their arrival and had been preparing the minds of the Mormons through a barrage of fanatical reforms, extremely spiritual subjugations, and brutal acts of violence heaped upon the heads of weak less faithful members. Author Richard Abanis states that, quote, the hallmark of this reformative era would be the Mormon doctrine of blood atonement. In 1853, Brigham Young must have been very pleased with the state of Utah Mormonism. Over 30,000 saints had come to the Mormon territory and there was plenty of room to hold them all. Add in the isolation, a highly capable and committed leadership, and the total marriage of church and state, and it may have seemed for a while to Brigham that Mormonism would in the not-so-distant future actually take over the world. But in 1856, Congress rejected Utah's state uh, bid for statehood, while the Republican platform actually called for the prohibition of U.S. territories, meaning Utah, for their twin relics of barbarism— polygamy and races and slavery. 
Brigham knew in order for this kingdom of his to survive a war with the U.S., his saints would have to be recommitted, so to speak, through a reformatory purification of sorts. Young said in September of 1856, as recorded in the Journal of Discourses, Volume 4, we need a reformation in the midst of this people. We need a thorough reform, for I know that very many are in a dozy condition with regard to their religion. Enter Jedediah Grant, also known as the Mormon Thunder and or the Sledgehammer of Brigham, according to author David Bigler. Grant served as the mouthpiece for Young. He was kind of the demagogue who stood up. Backing the verbal threats of Jedediah Grant were Young's destroying angels, this gang of brutal men, many of whom were gunslingers, murderers, and longtime Danites, the most famous being Porter Rockwell and Wild Bill Hickman, also known as the Danite Chief of Utah. The Reformation began in September 20th of 1856 through a series of coordinated teachings. These included severe preaching, rebuking, and a call for the repentant to be rebaptized. A week later, Young and Jedediah Grant shared a stage and reiterated the penalty for sinning against God. This is when the doctrine of blood atonement started to really get some legs. Young spoke primarily to those individuals who were still unsure if they wanted to remain in Utah or in the church itself. I would advise, he said, those people to repent of their sins forthwith. Author Abanus points out that Young then launched into an infamous teaching on blood atonement, which in LDS doctrine states that some sins are so serious that the only way to receive a chance for forgiveness is to shed one's own blood, that Jesus' blood was insufficient to cover. These speeches are available in the Journal of Discourses, all available at utlm.org if you want to read them verbatim. Said Young from the pulpit. There are sins that men commit for which they cannot receive forgiveness in this world or in that which is to come. And if they had their eyes open to see their true condition, they would be perfectly willing to have their blood spilled upon the ground and the smoke thereof might ascend to heaven as an offering for their sins. Young continued teaching that we would be doing some sinners a favor by shedding their blood, that such an act was not about to destroy them, but it was actually to save them. Now, I want you to try to imagine the scene before we go to the break. You're out in the middle of nowhere, it's hot and dusty, and your entire family has blindly followed Brigham out here to this isolated area. There's a young girl who you think is rather cute in your ward, and you want to court her. But unfortunately, so does the bishop of your ward, and he wants to make her one of his many brides. You attend a meeting and listen to the elders speak who rule with an iron fist, and they stand up and they rant and rain about your need to fall in line and be obedient to every single thing you say. There is a need for reform, and if not, you had better be prepared to face the consequences. Over your shoulder, standing at the back of the room, maybe you'll see Porter Rockwell standing there, or Bill Hickman, trimming their fingers with a bowie knife. Does this sound Christian to you? From the same pulpit, Jedediah Grant was just as bad as Brigham Young regarding people he felt were sinners. He said, My prayer is that God's indignation may rest upon them and He will curse them. Then he described more aspects of the unique Mormon teaching, blood atonement. When we come back from the break, I'll read that quote to you, uh, wrap it up with a few other quotes, and then we'll go to the phones. 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Please, when you call, 
We ask you to be a first-time caller if possible. We hope that you'll be LDS if possible. If you're uh, uh, a Christian and you enjoy the show, we know that. Get right to your point or question and uh, ask what that is. And also, it's really important that you turn your television sets down so that we can hear you. So as soon as the operator puts you on hold, wait. The next voice you'll hear will be mine, and we'll go to your call. We'll see you in a minute. After calling God's indignation upon the sinful in the Utah Valley, Jedediah Grant continued, there are men and women, quote, there are men and women that I would advise to go see the president immediately and ask him to appoint a committee to attend their case and then let a place be selected and let the committee shed their blood. We have among those of us who are full of all manner of abominations, those who have need to shed their blood and water will not do. Their sins are too deep a die. I would ask how many covenant breakers are there in this city and in this kingdom? I believe that there are a great many, and if they are covenant breakers, we need a place designated where we can shed their blood. They are a perfect nuisance, and I want them cut off, and the sooner it is done, the better, end quote. As a side note, Jedediah Grant references covenant breakers. This is a direct reference to the covenants that the LDS take in the temple, and they are many. And nobody in, who takes those temples, follow, takes those covenants, follows them completely, which leads to the irony of this. But nevertheless, one of the penalties for breaking the covenants that you make in the temple up until 1980-something was that you take your life and they showed you how you would do it. So this is what he's saying. If you've broken any of those covenants you've made in this temple, you need to shed your blood so that you can be forgiven. Does this sound Christian? In the months that followed, the Purge for Purity campaign continued with the high-ranking LDS authorities calling all the territory saints to repent, renew their covenants, and be rebaptized. Into Jesus, no, but to the church and to Brigham Young. Simultaneously, a verbal inquisition rolled forth where everyone was interviewed and asked at least some of these questions according to the diary of John Clements. Have you ever committed adultery? Have you ever spoken evil of the authorities or anointed of the Lord? Have you ever betrayed your brethren? Have you ever stole anything or taken something that was not yours? Oh, not your own. Have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Have you ever been drunk? Do you pay all your tithing? Do you attend all your ward meetings? Do you pray in your family's night and morning? Do you wash your bodies once a week? In the personal diary of Hannah Tapfield King, she reported on November 2nd, 1856, that these interrogations were a fearful ordeal. Sound Christian to you? Liberty in Christ? The important thing about this, and we're going to stop now and go to the phones, but the important thing is these same questions are still asked of Latter-day Saints today. No, they don't ask if you take a bath every week, but they ask you many of the same ones, and those are the way you're asked once by your bishopric member, then you go to a higher guy, a stake presidency member, twice in order to get your temple recommend. And you have to answer in the right way on every single question in order to get in. And then once you get in, you're able to get the endowments, make the covenants necessary for you to go on after this life and become a god. That's what the whole thing is based on. If you broke those covenants during Brigham Young's time, he said you needed to shed your own blood because you, there was no other covering for you. With that, let's go to the phones and talk to Timothy and Magna, first-time caller 
uh, who is LDS. Timothy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Timothy, hang up. Line two, we're going to James in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. James, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, good to talk to you, Sean. you got a good show. Thanks, James. Hey, uh, are you aware that, that uh, James Fletcher, who was LDS and headed NASA, was involved in the uh, decision to award the contract of the shuttle rocket motors to Thiokol in Utah, which led to the death of the, to the, Ch- of the Challenger astronauts? And he had gotten pressure from the church office and the president of the church to award the contract to Thiokol. I didn't. There, I did. was, there was a lot of influence peddling going on. I, I didn't know all office. those details. No, I, I knew Thiokol. I know it's a Utah company up up north by Brigham yeah. City, I guess. But yeah, 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 Thiokol. Well, the, the thing was, is the pro Utah group uh, comprising of uh, you know president of the church and others, and uh, put a lot of pressure on Fletcher give Thiokol the contract for the shuttle rocket booster. Huh. And it was an inferior design. Wow. And what? so the six, seven astronauts died when they, did need, when they did not need to die, and that's all because of James Darn Fletcher Mormons. being a Mormon and getting pressure. Killed the astronauts. So could, and it kidding. comes down to greed. Think about it. That's wild, James. Hey, can you send me, do you have any information on that? E- I do. I have a good documentation. In fact, there's, there's going to be a book coming out in about a year Let's even get a detail more about the church's influence in the shuttle disasters. Wow. Well, I'd like to read about it. Thanks so much for the call, James. Hey, take care, Sean. Keep up the good work. Thanks. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're we're going back to Tim and Magna, who's LDS. Tim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Tim. Um, Well, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. You were a uh, priesthood holder, I understand. Yes. And uh, you also went on a mission. Yes, I did. And I, I'm really curious, what made you turn and leave the church? Well, uh, really, probably the best way to answer it is I've answered it over 160 shows that, that what's led to it. But bottom line is I tried to do what the church suggested to get right with God and it never worked in my heart. I was always struggling to, to feel or sense like I had arrived and I couldn't get there. And so I hated being a hypocrite. And so I couldn't, I couldn't balance between being a hypocrite and pretending like I was okay because LDS didn't want to hear that you're not okay and then not being okay. And so what happened was I came to the Lord and I asked him, please give me a new heart. Let me know that I'm approved of you. And the only way that that could happen was that he forgave me of my sin through the blood of Jesus Christ and by his grace and not of anything that I could do. And when I realized that, my eyes opened, I was born again and I said, my goodness, this is a, I'm a new creature. My propensity to sin is going away and I know I'm forgiven if I die. And so when that happened, then I looked around, four years I stayed, looked around at my LDS and I tried to listen for those clues. Do my LDS brothers and sisters feel the same way? Have they had this experience? Do they talk about this? Are people born again? No. And then I realized there's something wrong. And so I left. That makes sense to me. The other thing was, was why, or why, why do you have a program that disses on LDS? Well, I, I understand Mormonism. 
because I was in it for so long and uh, I understand their teachings. And so when a Latter-day Saint calls and tries to give me teachings that are contrary to the Bible, I also took some time to try to learn the best I could the Bible. And then I'm able to speak their language and tell them how that is off. Additionally, uh, Timothy, I have family that are still in the church. I have hundreds of friends that are still in the church and none of them have the peace of knowing that if they were to die today, they're going to go into the arms of Jesus. All of them say, well, I hope so, or I'm trying, and they're, they're burdened. And so I want to be able to show how they can be free. But couldn't you do that without using the LD? I mean, without throwing that in, couldn't you do that in a different way? Without- well, here's the thing, Timothy, a couple things about that. One, I, I know, and I hate to use that word with LDS, but I know the Lord has led me to do this. Uh-huh. The, the second thing is, is if I was just to get up and, and give a biblical talk, and that's not just a just thing, that's an important thing. Right. But unless I make a comparison, the LDS will sit and they'll say, yeah, we believe that. Yeah, we're all the same. And so what I do is I use what the actual doctrines are compared to what the actual Bible teaches, and right. that produces in them angst. And they say, I hate this guy. And then they say, well, what's he? Maybe that's true. And then they say, wow, maybe I'll try that. And that's why we do it this way. Yeah. Does that help you? Well, it kind of does. You know, I think you're a great guy. You know, I'm not a great guy, Timothy. (laughs) I think you're a great guy. I just, I really, you know, that's one thing. Hey, Timothy, let me ask you a question. I got you got to ask me three. I get to ask you a couple. You got it. If you, if you step out your door today and a truck hits and kills you, are you going straight to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom? Um, I believe, yeah. And, and by, what, by what, what do you base that belief upon? Well, I guess the knowledge and the feelings that I have, like you had said, you stated you had these feelings that you Shouldn't have said needed no. to do this with your program. Yeah. Those same type of feelings that I have in my heart yeah. makes me believe that, yes, I will go to heaven. Okay, so you believe you have these feelings that you're going to. Now, let me ask you this. What's different between your feelings that you have and a Hindu or a Muslim who has the same exact feelings? You know what? I believe that they are going to go to heaven too. Well, of course you do, because that's quite convenient. But unfortunately, the LDS Church, which you belong to, says no, no, no. In fact, it says even people who believe in Jesus won't go to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom. They have to embrace all of Mormonism. You see, so this is why, this is a perfect model of why we do what we do. Because you called in and you have a good heart and you just believe everybody's going to go to heaven. And so you use that as a justification for your beliefs. But unfortunately, that is not what your doctrine teaches. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, can we send you our book? Yes. Hey, stay on the phone. An operator will come on, get your name and number, and we'll send one out to you. Well, thanks. All right. Hold on, Timothy. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. We're going to Scott in Washington, D.C., Scott, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Uh, my name's Scott. I'm from uh, Washington, D.C. Yes. And I'm a, a senior at Georgetown University. And mm-hmm. one of my focuses on the senior thesis is uh, comparing Roman Catholicism and Mormonism. Oh. And um, I was actually an intern a couple of months ago. And uh, I can tell you, not in terms of quantity, but quality, the LDS Church is probably one of the most influential religions in the entire city. Huh. Uh, wow. Oh, yes. Uh, when they want something done, they, they, they go after it. 
Huh. Uh, I've been to many services, and uh, they uh, they seem very nice. And I've examined all their service uh, practices uh, between Catholicism. I used to be a Roman Catholic. I'm now a Christian. Uh-huh. Uh, and you, in your, my, I guess my question is, is uh, do you see the different the similarities between Roman Catholicism and Mormonism? Uh, absolutely. Uh, a lot of similarities between the legalism, between the doctrines, between uh, a, a kind of some twists on what the Bible teaches regarding Mariology and, and the Eucharist and all these different rituals and rites. The Mormons have a lot of that too. I also see a lot of, lot of parallels between Islam and Mormonism. Uh, so they, they have kind of the same uh, pattern that they go by. The only difference is Catholicism recognizes the Trinity. Catholicism, yeah, they do add some of the uh, apocryphal books to their Bible, and they call them by different names and things. But the Bible, they accept the Bible. But the Pope and all that is, is very different. And, and we have a prophet. We have a Pope. All those similarities are there. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, your, your call is really timely because we're talking about LDS influence in Washington, D.C., and you made a comment that they're all very nice. And, you know, I concur with you. Uh, the very best LDS are the very nicest. And, yes. and, and um, As a matter of fact, uh, I went to a ward with uh, my good friend, uh, I'll just call him Brother Roberry, uh, and I went to the same ward that Harry Reid goes to. Oh, really? Yes. Does he ever very bear nice his testimony? Gentleman. What? Very nice, very nice gentleman. Yeah. Um, no, but, uh, when can you hear me? I can. Okay. When um, when the church wants something done, such as marriage or abortion, they they go after it. Yeah. Uh, unlike some religions, where there's a lot of mixed feelings. You know, Kennedy or Kerry, uh, who who go against the uh, Catholic Church. So mm. that's where their influence is really felt. Yeah. Hey, a really good call, Scott. I really appreciate it. Okay, talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I want to make a point about the political influence. Listen, uh, people will say, well, what do you think is going to happen to the Mormons? Are they all going to hell and this and that? And my standard response is, first, I don't make that judgment. I have no idea what happens with an individual's life. Mormon doctrine, definitely hellacious. But what happens to an individual, I don't know. But I will say... If they go as an active, faithful, believing Mormon and they come to know Jesus somewhere along the line and and they don't leave it or whatever, they are going to be surprised and uh, they have their reward on this earth. This is their reward. They believed in bringing heaven down to earth and making it a utopia. And I believe they have their reward because everything is for the now. And uh, in the traditional Mormon heart, very little is done because they just are sold out to Jesus. It's more done out of duty and a hope for future blessings. I know that might upset some LDS, but I believe that's generally the way it goes. Hope that makes sense. We're going to Katie and Orem, first-time caller. Katie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hi. Hi, Katie. Hi. Um, I just wanted to let you know that I, I really respect all the stuff that you say on there. Uh-huh. Um, I just wanted to ask a question. Um, I was just wondering, why, why is it always focused on like the past, like with the Danites and stuff like that? Good question. Right now, we're going through LDS history, and you might say, uh-huh. well, well the, the church today is so different. Well, on the, on the program tonight and what I said, I want to show that it's really not so different. They still do the interrogations, but it's done through a Temple Recommend interview. The LDS church in their general conference this past weekend, they promote and prompt and hail their legacy. They talk about the pioneers. They talk about their legacy. They're willing to use their history 
in every way, shape, or form to make it seem like they've had this arduous history where millions have died and they haven't. And yet when I use the history, it upsets a lot of LDS because they say, why are you going back then? So the church can go back and use their legacy and build the whole thing on it. But if we go back and look at the same things that gave them the, the groundwork for what they are today, it annoys people. I think we're justified in doing it. I have one more question. Yeah. Um, what what makes you want to do this? What motivates you so strongly to, to do this each time? Jesus. Absolutely. Okay. Bottom line, my love, my gratitude. I'm sold out to Jesus for doing what he's done for me and how he changed my perspective in life. And I want my LDS brothers and sisters to experience the same thing. If your LDS brothers and sisters already feel that same thing, what do you think about that? I think if they do, they would no longer be LDS. Huh. Okay. Well, thank you for answering my question. You're welcome, Katie. I like that laugh you have hidden in that voice of yours. <laughs> thank you. Well, have a good day. See you later. Uh, bye. Bye. We're going to Linda. Linda, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, hi. Hey, Linda, you got to turn your TV down. Okay. Okay. All right, you're on the air. Yeah, hi. Hi, Linda. I like uh, this. Uh, this is the first time I watch your TV, and it's amazing, and I'm glad you're LDS before. But I was just kind of hurt because uh, you're a good guy, you know. We're all people. We're not all perfect. But I'm a convert. I'm about 18 years. Uh, I'm a Catholic, and I'm a convert of LDS. Oh. And I'm from California and then went to Las Vegas. Now I live here in Utah. Uh-huh. I have a mind of uh, Mormon people because what I know with my experience with my Catholic and I attend some, some Lutheran, any church is good. They all believe in God. But the system of the Mormon is so disciplined because we need discipline in this world. Yeah. My, my philosophy is if we don't have like a president in our country, the people will be missed. So we need a leader like the prophet, which is in the Bible. And what's wrong if the prophet will guide us in a good way instead of evil way? Because I, I Lin- become Linda? a good person. Can I make know? an observation? Uh-huh. Uh, are you Samoan or Tongan? I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm a Filipino mix. You're Filipino? Filipino? I'm Filipino, trying to understand your... What's that? I'm a mix. My, my, my grandparents is from Spain, Spanish, and... Uh- my dad is Italian, Chinese, Philippine. It's a, it's a, I'm, I was born in Philippines, but I'm mixed. Okay. And you came from the Catholic Church? Yes, I came from the Catholic okay. private church. And, and, you, you, and you probably remember, I'll be quick about this, you probably remember when they had dress codes to go into Mass, and you probably remember when they had all that order and that discipline, right? Yes. It's yeah. nice, and they're nice people. They yeah, they are nice people. Everyone's nice people. The, the thing about it is, is... There's discipline, but you can get discipline in the army. You can get discipline being an IBM salesman. You can get discipline all over the place. Mm -hmm. Discipline is good when it comes from the Lord. I'm not against discipline. I'm not against the discipline the LDS have. Yes, my dad is well-disciplined. Yes, God is well-disciplined. But I am against their doctrine. Their doctrine is not biblical, Linda. And because they're disciplined and they look nice and are nice, it doesn't mean they're right. This is one of the, the problems with the counterfeit. Is it might look this way, it might act this way, it might sound this way, but when you read the doctrine, it is not right, Linda. All, all, all is bad because 
it makes me more better person. It makes sense. Yeah. They didn't say to do evil. They like us to be do good. Okay. I know they want you to do good. <laughs> Listen, uh, keep watching the show, and maybe we can talk again. Yeah, but it's interesting. At least I listen to you because I like the truth too. Maybe. Oh, maybe, good. You know? Praise God. Yeah. Thanks yeah. so much, Linda. Yeah, but I love the LDS people. Mostly 90%. They're very compassionate and yeah. they're nice. Okay. okay. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, brother. Okay, thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Linda in Salt Lake City, line one. I was on with her. We're going to Mandy, line two in Orem. Mandy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Okay, Hi, Mandy. So getting back to the Heart of the Matter. Yes. Yes. Um, how you were bringing up about, was it the 1850s with Brigham Young? Yes. And just uh, how you're reading from somebody else's text. Yeah. Or not text, you know, like their, their work. Uh-huh. Just to... Un- just to let like the LDS viewers out there know, because I am LDS, that um, where you do you get your information? Journal discourses. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, and just you know reminding uh, this, like LDS people out there now, you know who is who are watching this program, that um, one of like being active in the church right now, a lot of the things that. I, like I'm being taught and my children are being taught is having faith, like coming back to the heart of matter in the Lord Jesus Christ. And okay. that's what it all comes down to. Mandy, and, you've given a good speech to help let your LDS brothers and sisters know that today's a different day than back 150 years ago. But I want you to know something. The LDS church has not changed any of their doctrine. None yes. of it. So I while outwardly, they're outwardly, they're talking more about Jesus... And outwardly, you're doing more things that seem like they're more Christian. Your doctrines remain the same, except for the blacks being able to hold the priesthood as of 1978. That's the only one. And that was just a change in policy. Yes. Yeah. I know that. Well, Mandy, I, yeah. Mandy so how, how you're telling your LDS friends that now because you're talking more about Jesus, the church is okay. What, no, about, the, what about the temple rites that are Masonic? that you have to do in order to get to heaven. No, that's not something that we are taught. Like, you don't have to do those things to get to heaven because I'm a divorced mother, and, like, there's no way that I'm going to be able to be sealed in the temple. Exactly. Right now, you know, but that's, that does not mean, and we are not taught that that is not a way to get back to okay. our Lord. This, Mandy, because, you're, because your Sunday school teacher isn't teaching you that today, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that's not the doctrine. You've got to read what your doctrine says. It Go is to- doctrine. It is doctrine, and I know that, but being Christian Wait a well, second. Let's stay on this. It is doctrine. How is this doctrine? You show me how it says now you don't need to be sealed in the temple to be at the highest level of the celestial kingdom and become a god. Well, you know, that's, that's controversy, you know? It's not controversy. It is well, doctrine. for me, for me, though, for me. For your personal that is, that opinion? That is doctrine. Yes, that is doctrine, and I know that, but uh-huh. I have the, my faith right. in Jesus Christ, knowing that if I do the best that I can each and every day oh. and do what is asked of me, oh. you know, to be more holy, you know, and just love Him and embrace Him oh. for the sacrifice that He gave us, you yeah. know? It's, that's it's very nice. Point. Okay, so let me ask you this. We won't talk about the temple then. You just said you gave me kind of a laundry list of things you need to do in order to make sure that you're going to live with God, right? Exactly. Okay. Now, do you know what the Christians believe you need to do? Just love, love Jesus. Have faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in the blood of Jesus Christ. And you say just. Is, 
Do you realize it is much harder to put your faith and trust in that concept than to actually do things to make sure that you're doing it right? Do you know that working is actually an easier approach to Jesus than to live by faith? It's hard work one way or the other, but, you know, it's, no. one, of those, well, it's one of those things that he, like, Heavenly Father, you know, gave his one and only begotten Son for us. So it makes me as a person want to do anything and everything that I can to get back to him. I understand. So if you were to die today, Mandy, where are you going to go? I'm going to go into my arms of my Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ. Okay. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You're sounding very evangelical. That's a nice thing yeah. to hear in Mormonism. Yeah. I got a nice friend that's evangelical, and I actually met you at the uh, Christ Evangelical Church. Oh, well, good. Uh, Mandy? So, but it is based upon your efforts? In, I, you in, know, I believe it, I believe it is a okay. big part. I'm glad at least you say that because we get a lot of people who call and they try to spin it so that it doesn't seem that way. And I appreciate your heartfelt expression uh, of the truth of how you are taught in that way. So yep. I hope you'll keep watching and yep. I hope that you will someday get to the point where you see there's nothing I could do to ever ever earn or merit life with God, except believe on the blood, shed blood of Jesus Christ by faith. Amen. Thank you. All right, Mandy. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to Alan in Bountiful, line four. Alan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How you doing? I'm I doing well, a Alan. I uh, comments and a question. Yes. I liked your John the Baptist look last week. You like that better? Yeah, it kind of suits you. Uh, this greased back biker look, I don't know, man. Um, <laughs> hey, I gotta reach the, the the greasy bikers. Yeah, I love them too. Yeah, that's true. Uh, second comment: I, I thought I was the only Mormon apostate who had left the LDS Church in the state of Utah, who went out to pursue other Christian denominations, and it's nice to know I'm not alone. Awesome. Uh, and my question is: Do you believe that when animals die, that they have a soul, and that they go to heaven? I believe that animals have a soul, a mind, will, and emotion, uh, but I don't, believe, I don't believe animals have a spirit where God dwells in them. Mm -hmm. And so I don't believe that they go to heaven by virtue of their needing to be spiritually reborn or by the cleanliness of their lives. Whether, dogs, whether do all dogs go to heaven, I'm not going to touch it because I have no idea. I, but I know they're not going to go by virtue of their spiritual state. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm kind of exploring the uh, question myself because I, I lost the perfect dog about six months ago, and he was just awesome. Well, let me tell you this, Alan. I'll say this. I know that if God gave you the perfect dog here on earth and you trust in God, whatever he does for you later, you are going to be so blown away, it won't matter what really happens later on. You will be so grateful for his approach on what he does. I hope so, and I, yeah. uh, I, I talked with my aunt about this, she's a dog lover, and we both agreed that if we die and our animals aren't there, that we must be in hell, you know. Wow. So I, I sure That's funny, because my version of heaven is no animals. Oh, really? Unless they're cooked right. Just yeah. kidding! Well, let's hope that there are different, uh, different suburbs in heaven. So, you know, if you don't like animals, you, you go there. And there's, then, a, there's a lot of mansions, you know, there's, there's yeah. a number of... There's yeah. a dog motel. I don't know. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. Well, I sure hope so. 
All right, Alan, thanks so much for the call. I love your heart. I hope you, in your search out of Mormonism, have found a good Christian church. Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Keep going, my brother. Hey, thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. We're going to Wanda and Vernal, first-time caller who's LDS. Wanda, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Wanda. I'm wondering why that you're so certain that LDS people don't feel that peace in their hearts that you feel. No, I don't. I'm not certain that all LDS don't. I, I would not say that. And if I, may, if I alluded to that, I'm wrong. But I would say this. If you have this peace and this reassurance that Jesus is the only means by which you go to heaven, you would never sit there and also believe, also that you have to keep a Sabbath day in order to please Him, that you have to do the temple rites, that you have to do this, that you have to do that. that you, you would never do that. What you would do is say, well, you know, you'd have a completely different perspective and a completely different attitude. Also, I believe those things are a support system for me to help stay close to my Father in Heaven. That's fa- And in your case, that may be true. I'm not going to question that. I'll let you go stand before God, but only you know. But let me ask you something, Wanda. When you go before, go before God, and he says, what did you do to merit life here with me? What are you going to say? I'm going to say I um, took care of your name and the things that I did and lived my life by. Okay, and you know what I'm going to say? And, and my, my church gives me a lot of good guidelines to follow those things. Okay. They, uh, they're, a, they're a lifeline, basically. Okay, is this what you're going to say to God, that your church did this for you and you tried to do it? And, and, and is that your... No, I'm, going to say, I'm going to say your gospel which is the vehicle of my church, uh-huh. gave me this lifeline. Okay. And it was a help, a help that helped me stay close to him. Okay. And, th- and this is what my response is going to be. A God, I did nothing, nothing to merit life with you. I was a well, sinner. Well, I would be embarrassed to say I, that. I know you'd be embarrassed because that's part <laughs> of pride. But I would say I've done nothing. Will you, will you let me say what I would say? I want to tell him I would say nothing. I had done nothing but believed on your son because that's what you told me to do. That is the difference between what the LDS feel, what you just told us what your speech would be, and what my speech would be. Father, you gave me your son. I believed on him. I trust you that that's what I need. That's it. I believed in his blood. I believed in you that you sent him. That's it. And that's the difference. We are out of time. I'm sorry to cut you off, but call back. We're out of time. Actually, we are down to, this says eight minutes. This says 15 seconds. How much time do we have? 15 seconds. Okay, listen. Go to www.hotm.tv and check out the Partners uh, program. Go to Partners. You'll learn all about how to partner with us in this ministry to the LDS and to people who are searching for truth. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage